Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose an episode of Mystery House, entitled The Thirsty Death, starring Bella Lugosi. However, settle in, because what this exactly is, is a mystery itself. The Mystery House series was a popular program on WGN in Chicago starting in 1929. Mystery House was a radio series that centered around a publishing firm owned by Dan and Barbara Glenn, who would promote books they were publishing by airing them as radio shows. Each new novel was acted out by staff members of the Mystery House before it was accepted for publication. But there is a mystery around Mystery House. Was it really the staff members of Mystery House performing? And was Mystery House even a real publishing company? Or was it all just made up for a radio show? Little information is available about the publishing firm Mystery House, and it's never been proven if it even existed. But, hold on, the mystery deepens with the existence of our episode this week, The Thirsty Death. It is assumed to be an audition pilot episode that never aired, intended to be hosted by Lugosi and possibly recorded at the NBC studios in July of 1944. However, it is not known if this Mystery House is separate from the established Mystery House series or if it was intended to be a revamping of the already established show Mystery House. In an excerpt from a book on Bella's career entitled Lugosi by Gary Don Rhodes, it reads... Perhaps the most interesting aspect of Lugosi's radio career is this, an attempt at his own program, Mystery House. It hoped to feature Lugosi in the leading role of various grand guignol tales. This particular recording, the audition episode, is seemingly the only one actually produced and recorded. The Mystery House press would have sponsored it, so why the show never reached the air remains a question. Apparently, as you'll hear at the end of the show, among the planned episodes was a story about a woman who had been buried alive, with producers hoping for Simone Simon as a guest, and also claims Lugosi was to star in a series of Mystery House films for Universal Studios, like the Inner Sanctum series of films Universal made with Lon Chaney Jr. Also, this series is not to be confused with House of Mystery or Mystery Playhouse, hosted by Peter Lorre. All that being said, the most logical conclusion is that this episode is not connected to the established Mystery House series and was an audition recording meant to launch a different series by the same name featuring Bella Lugosi as the host that never happened. In the future, we'll feature an episode of the other established Mystery House series. In addition to the quintessential vampire Bella Lugosi, this episode also features another famous Dracula, John Carradine, Lorraine Tuttle, and announcer Ken Carpenter in support. Never broadcast, but recorded July of 1944, we think. Here is The Thirsty Death from a program that was going to be titled Mystery House, we think. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Hello? 
This is Bela Lugosi welcoming you to Mystery House. Mystery House, starring Bela Lugosi. Mystery House, where live again the stories of the greatest mystery theater the world has ever known, the Grand Guignol of Paris. Mystery House, where tonight the distinguished actor John Carradine joins Bela Lugosi in presenting The Thirsty Death. Uh, good evening, folks. This is Ken Carpenter. If I sound a little nervous, it's not really my fault. I'm usually a pretty steady guy, calm as anyone, but, well, this is asking too much. Bela Lugosi alone is enough to scare you. John Carradine isn't exactly soothing to your nerves, but put them together in a story set in darkest Africa with mad dogs howling in the background and, whew, well, find out for yourself. rises on The Thirsty Death, starring Bela Lugosi and his guest at Mystery House, John Carradine. You hear those native drums? You know what they're saying? Eve Plazanda does. That is why her heart is pounding to the mounting cadence of those ceaseless drums. That's why she's hurrying faster, faster, hurrying through the North African forest in the oppressive heat of this humid afternoon. And that is why Malad, her native houseboy, follows unwillingly, his eyes rolling fearfully in the wide sockets. Malad, faster! Walk faster! Missus, please! Better we go by! Don't talk such nonsense! What? Missus, thirsty death walks! <clears throat> All around us is thirsty death! You hear, Missus? Do you hear? Oh, stop gibbering no. like a frightened child! No. Anyway, we've gone too far to turn back now. No. We're almost halfway to the village. No. But a week, Obak. But a week. Oh, oh, Kubak. Mullen. Mullen, don't leave me here alone. Mullen. Mullen. Let me in. Open the door and let me in. Eve, it is you. Rene. I couldn't believe my own ear. Come in. Come in. Oh, I had no idea this was your house, Rene. I knew you lived somewhere near here, but... What happened? I was on my way to the village when Mollet, my, my houseboy, became frightened and ran away. There was a mad dog somewhere near. Well, so I have something to thank the epidemic for after all. Who would have thought back in Paris that we should meet again like this? Oh, Rene, please. Yes, forgive me. I was so taken away at seeing you. Sit down. Let me pour you some water. Oh, thank you. Yeah, drink. Nasty. Make yourself ill. More, please. Well, a little more will be all right, I suppose. I, I never knew before what thirst could mean. And imagine those poor devils out there, hundreds of them who have hydrophobia. Whatever induced you to set foot outside your door? Oh, it, it was foolhardy of me, I know. My husband had to leave for the coast to be gone at least a week. And the prospect of being shut in all alone, except for my terrified house. Yes, the natives are in a dreadful panic. My own houseboy, Gildas, ran off and deserted me yesterday. But you say you were on your way to the village. Well, perhaps you know the Chabours. I was going to stay with them until Francois, my husband, returned. You, are you happy with him? Him? You mean my husband? Of course we're happy. Very happy. And why, when I first learned who the new doctor and his wife were, did you send back word by Gildas that I would not be welcome in your home? Because... Because you were afraid that seeing me might rekindle our love? Wasn't that it? No, no, Renée. Really. Because Francois... Is such a 
jealous husbands. Middle-aged men with beautiful young wives usually are. Well, I, I'm rested now. I must be on my way to the village. If I'm to make it by nightfall. But you can't go out there again. I must. Oh. Renee, you loved me once. I love you still. Then go with me. Take me to the village. Very well. But you're still tired. Rest a bit longer, and then we'll stop. <sighs> Strange, isn't it, Renee? Strange and wonderful. And doesn't it prove something to you, Eve? When you sent me away back there in Paris, because your parents wished you to marry this Dr. Poisson, I chose the farthest, most inaccessible, most uncivilized spot I could think of. Yet here I am, too. Eve. With my husband. Does he know that you were once in love with another? With me? With another, yes. I'm not sure. Oh! Those dogs. You said one spine a tingling. I'll have my gun, of course. Hydrophobia turned him into such a snarling, howling, frothing beast that they had to smother him between two mattresses. Oh, it's a ghastly disease. And yet there are fools, criminal fools, who refuse to obey the order that all dogs be killed. I didn't hesitate to kill all four of my pets. Eve, why do you suddenly look at me like that? Oh, nothing. There's a dog in your home, isn't there? Yes. What that sheer folly. Francois refuses to do away with him. That's another reason why I couldn't bear to remain home. I was afraid. What manner of man is this husband of yours? He says he needs the dog for experiments. Please, Rene, we mustn't delay any longer. It, it gets dark so suddenly out here. Very well. I'll get my gun. Rene. What's the matter? Somebody's outside. Probably Gildas, that poor houseboy of mine, coming back at last. No, no, it... Eve, who was it you said you saw just through the windows? Why do you? My husband. Your husband? Well, I thought you said. He mustn't find me here, Rene. He's so insanely jealous, he'll think he mustn't find me here. Wait, go upstairs. There's a bedroom. All right. Who's there? Oh, good evening. Good evening, monsieur. I'm Dr. Pleasant. Oh, new doctor. Well, won't you come in? Thank you. I am René Bramont. Yes, I've heard of you. I think that back in Paris we had a... A mutual friend. You must be mistaken, my dear doctor. I am from Marseille. So? You are an obliging host. To your health, Dr. Passant. And yours, Monsieur Bremont. Hmm. Blended liqueur. I must say, a comfortable place you have here. Thank you, doctor. This, I presume, is your living room. It's a very small place. <laughs> Just the kind of place that would appeal to my wife. We're thinking of building next year, and if you don't mind, i like to take a look at the bedroom. No. Uh, that is, I, I'd rather you didn't. Oh. The bedroom is uh, occupied, perhaps? Of course not. I, I'm here all alone. Then? Well, doctor, I might as well confess. Yes? Gildas, my houseboy, deserted me yesterday. Well, the bedroom is in a frightful mess. I must ask you to wait until some other time to see it. Hmm. As you wish. Now, Doctor, at the risk of seeming a rude host, I must remind you that it will soon be dark. You... you think I should be on my way? <laughs> After all, Dr. Passant, you of all people should be aware of the menace that lurks in the forest. There's still mad dogs loose, and after dark... Oh, yes. Those mad dogs. And me, completely out of serum. Out of serum? Good heavens! Can't you get some more? The whole district has run out. I intended leaving for the coast today to get a supply, but... Yes? But something very significant came to my attention. So I sent someone else. Doctor, it's such a long trip. Why, this means that for at least a week, 
every case of hydrophobia in this district must necessarily be fatal. Yes, monsieur. In what ghastly cases we had. Death so horrible that even I, who have seen so much of death, was and utterly revolted. And yet you are so rash as to keep a dog in your own house. What's that, monsieur? What's that? You know I have a dog? Then she told you. She? I, I, I don't know who you mean. Who told you? Gildas, my houseboy, Gildas. You know how these natives chatter. He heard it from your houseboy. <laughs> a most unusual servant, that Gildas. First leaves your bedroom a frightful mess so that I can't see it. And now he tells you about a dog. Dr. Passant, you must do away with the dog. It's too dangerous. Why, just think if your wife... Your solicitude for my wife's safety touches me deeply, Monsieur Grimaud. Too bad she couldn't be along with me on this question. Yes, it is. But perhaps we shall all three be together quite soon. Goodbye, Monsieur. Goodbye, Doctor. Yeah. Eve, you can come down now. Oh, Renee. Oh, I was so frightened. I, I can hardly stand. You're pale as a ghost. Here, sit down. I thought he'd never go. When he asked to see the bedroom, I... Eve. He knew you were here. You think so? His very manner in asking to see the bedroom. And his reaction when I forgot myself and spoke of the dog. Yes, yes. I tried to tell myself otherwise, but I know it's true. Didn't he even speak of him? Mutual friend in Paris. He meant me. Of course. He knows we were once sweethearts. And now, the way things happen... Don't, Eve, don't. I can't bear to see you like this. What if he does know? You've done no wrong. God knows you've been a faithful wife. But he... I told you how jealous Francois is. He'll never believe the truth, never. What kind of a devil is he? That you should cower and cringe before him. Oh, you don't know what he's capable of. Then why don't you divorce him? You don't love him, you never have. He'd never consent to a divorce. He's told me so. Then leave him anyway. Eve, darling, come away with me. Come away to the other end of the earth. I'll make you happy. I swear I will. Everything we once hoped and dreamed together... Oh, Renee, don't, please. You're only making me feel worse. As long as I'm his wife, I... I, I couldn't. Yes. I... I suppose I knew that. Look, night has closed in already. We've got... What's the matter? If I hadn't caught you then, you'd have fallen. It's it's just just nerves. I'll be all right. We've got to start for the village at once, Renee. But you're in no condition to ever make it here. Do you realize how far it is? Yes, but I... Those mad dogs prowling in the blackness of the forest? But I, I can't stay here. Why not? You can have the bedroom upstairs. I'll sleep down here on the couch. Do you think he'd ever believe that? Listen. I have an idea. Why didn't I think of it before? Some friends of mine, an elderly couple, have a place down by the river. I'll take you there at dawn. They'll say you were here, all, all, you were there all the time. You really think they will? Positive, and Eve. We were probably wrong about your husband knowing you were here. We just imagined things. Everything's going to turn out all right. trembling. What time is it? Well, as a matter of fact, we'd have had to get up soon anyway. It's just about dawn. Well, then if you don't mind, I'll, 
I'll go back downstairs with you. I I hate to be alone. Sure thing. I'll start right in fixing breakfast. I had a restless night, too. Uh, wouldn't be a bit surprised if I was going to have another bottle of malaria. My head's spinning. And I ache all over. Sit down. I like the lamp. Yes, too. It's eerie black. Oh, here's a match. Oh, there. The light from the lamp makes me feel better already. <laughs> I can almost laugh at my horrible dream now. Was it about the dogs? Yes. About the little dog Nero that my husband refused to kill. I dreamed that, that right before my eyes, the dog changed into the shadowy figure of a man. No wonder you woke up screaming. But that was only the beginning of the dream. It, it, it seemed to me that I woke up there in the bedroom upstairs, and the shadowy figure was, was leaning over me. I was so paralyzed with fright I couldn't move. And then what happened? And then I heard this, this thing go out of my room and close the door. And it seemed to me that I lay there in eternity, trying to scream but unable to utter a sound. Finally, I found my voice. Eve. Renee, you do look ill. I hadn't noticed before how... Eve, I had a strange dream, too. I also dreamed that a shadowy figure was moving about in here. No. Then I dreamed the figure went out and barred the doors and windows from the outside. Renee, look. The windows are barred. Yes. Quick. The door tested. Well, we must still be dreaming. It can't be. It's true. The door is locked and barred from the outside. Whoever you are there, open the door. We've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of here. Well, I hope you're not frightened yet, because this isn't anything. Wait till you hear Bela Lugosi and John Carradine in the second act of The Thirsty Death. And wait till you hear those howling dogs. We left Yves Pazant and René Bramon beating senselessly on the barred door. The barred door which keeps them prisoners there in the Subramans Lodge, remote in the North African forest. As we return to them now in the ghostly dawn, they are still hammering their fists on the door in a fit of panic, still shouting hopelessly for help. Stop it! Stop! Stop it! We're behaving like panicky children. We've got to be calm. We've got to think this thing through like rational human beings. Calm? Rational? Yes, yes, of course. We wake up and find the door and windows barred from the outside. Now, is that any reason to give way to terror? Shadowy figure, Renee. He must have had a purpose. A ghastly purpose. Nonsense. He only existed in your imagination. And I dare say you transplanted him to mine. For all we know, Gildas may have done this just as a joke. You don't really believe that, Renee. Certainly I do. Or if it wasn't Gildas, maybe it was some native with a twisted sense of humor. Oh, Renee, we've got to get out of here. Naturally. And it shouldn't be very difficult if we use our heads. Now, let's see. Why, of course... I have a hatchet over here in the drawer. Oh, Renee. Gone. Renee, he took it. Whoever locked us in took it. Now, now. No, no. Now, don't get hysterical no. again. I can always fire my revolver and maybe it tries to help that way. Oh, then hurry, hurry. See, the cartridge is over here in the other drawer. No. The cartridges, they're gone too. Yes, yeah, they're gone too. Renee, the door. Somebody's there. It's opening. Dr. Pazan. Ah, good morning, Monsieur Bimond. And Eve, my dear wife, aren't you happy to see your devoted husband again? You locked us in, didn't you? Yes, it was you. Stand where you are, monsieur. I shall feel impelled to use my gun. Dr. Pazan, what sort of comedy do you think you're playing? A romantic one. 
but only as a supporting player. I'm sure you'll be the first to admit that. Oh, no, 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 Francois. It isn't true what you're thinking. We can explain everything if you'll only give us a chance. <laughs> I'm sure it would be a most ingenious alibi. You blind, stupid, jealous fool. I demand that you let us out of here at once. Let you out? Oh, no. I couldn't do that. It would be criminal. Criminal? Decidedly, you are dangerous. What riddles are you speaking now? Not riddles. Facts. Oh, he's gone mad. Completely mad. No, my dear wife. I'm not mad. But unfortunately, it will soon be impossible to say the same about one of you. What? Which one? Me? Perhaps. And then again, perhaps it is she. Who knows? What are you talking about? Tell us what you have to say and be done with it. Very well, Monsieur Vimon. Remember telling me that I ought to have killed my little dog? What about it? I have been forced to follow your advice, monsieur. You see, the dog had become rabid. Oh. But what has that to do with us? Patience. Patience. What will interest you particularly is that last night, after I killed the poor dog, I filled my hypodermic needle with its saliva. With its Saliva? Yes, it's saliva, brimming with hydrophobia. And then I came back here. Came back all the way through the forest. Came back with my hypodermic needle. And it was really you. You that I saw leaning over my bed. And then you injected the needle into me. You monster! You infected us both! No, no, not both. Just one of you. Don't you remember my saying? Uh, oh, which one? Which one did you infect? It wasn't me. Or me, in the name of heaven, man. <laughs> very soon you'll find out. But very soon the one who is infected will begin to feel symptoms. You are, you are quite unmistakable, I assure you. First, just a general feeling of sickness. Steadily growing worse. And I'm the one... I woke up feeling ill. And what about me? I thought it was malaria. Next will come that awful crucifying thirst. And then the final stage. The transformation into a snarling, frothing, howling beast that will bite and tear and stand back, Ramon, or I shoot. Dr. Pezan, by all that is holy, I swear that we are innocent. Oh, yes, Francois, yes. Have you no mercy? I have only advice. There in the drawer... Where you failed to find the hatchet, I left a knife. A knife? Oh, it's not sharp enough or strong enough to tear open the door or window bars. However, when the mad person attacks the healthy one, the knife will prove useful. <laughs> Goodbye. If we only knew which one of us it was. Not me. He wouldn't have done it to me. He wants me. He wouldn't destroy me. It's you, Rennie. He did it to you. You're just saying that, Edith. You know in your heart it isn't true. Suspicion has turned his love for you into inhuman hatred. You're the one he'd want to destroy, not me. It's you he's infected. You. First, just a general feeling of sickness... Steadily growing worse. General feeling of sickness. Steadily growing worse. What he said. What's that you're saying, Eve? Renee, 
There's no longer any doubt about it. It was me that he infected. No, no, no. It was me. Just as he said, the symptoms are unmistakable. Why should I lie to myself or you any longer? I'm the victim. You're sure, Renee? You're positive? Good to God that I weren't. General feeling of sickness. From me, I warn you. Don't me. come a step closer. Kill if you do, I'll knife. have to use this knife. We're locked in here together, Eva. There's nothing I can do but use this knife. Help! Help! Oh! 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 Doctor! Doctor, see, I come back. I come back. Yes, my lad. You'll come back. Missus, where is she? I think she is. The home was Monsieur Bremont, where you took her. Monsieur Bremont? No, no, doctor. Molly not take Missus anywhere. Molly get scared of dogs. Run away and leave Missus all alone in forest. Come back now to say very sorry. Don't lie to me. You took her to Monsieur Bremont yesterday. Yesterday you had probably taken her many times before. No, no. Tell me, Ballard, oh. how much did she pay you for keeping her secret? Secret? What secret you talk about? Don't taunt me about You lied, devil. Oh? It won't do any good. I found her with Monsieur Bremont. Who is this Monsieur Bremont? Molly, not know. If no. you say that once more, I'll flood you. Oh. The game is up. I caught her with her lover and... Marlon, not know what you talk. Yesterday, Mrs. Say, go without the village. On way, dog come. Marlon, run. Leave Mrs. behind. Now, come back to say very sorry. A very oh. clever story, Marlon. Oh, yeah. And who knows? Yeah. I might have been fool enough to believe it. If not for this. Oh, you get letter. Yes, a letter. Last night, while visiting Monsieur Dumont's lodge... I found it in a drawer hidden under a box of cartridges. It's in her own handwriting. Doctor, what letter say? I couldn't bear to read what my wife wrote to her lover. I haven't read it. But I will now. I'll read it now. This is very good to Marley. Very good to Marley. Doctor, what is it? Why you... Renee. Everything that once was between us is forgotten and must forever remain that way. Please, I beg you, 
never come to see me. And if ever we chance to meet, remember, I am Madame Pleasant and not the girl who... Oh, dear God. What have I done, Doctor? Where you go? Quick, but it's come. Maybe there is yet time. Let me out, for God's sake. Let me out of here. Yes, yes. Quick, Maris, help me get the door open. Missos! How did you expect to find her? So, you killed her? Yes. I killed her. I was only your instrument. You gave her that monstrous disease. Eve. Eve. Look at her now. Your wife. Your beautiful young wife. You and your hypodermic needle. You made her into a frothing, howling, biting... Listen to me. It's true that the blood is on my soul. She was not a victim of hydrophobia. What? All that about that hypodermic needle. I, I made it up. Neither you nor, nor my wife was... Ladies and gentlemen, that was The Thirsty Death, starring Bela Lugosi and John Carradine with Loreen Tuttle. What's the matter, Ken? We didn't frighten you, did we? Well, I'm afraid you did, Bela. That was pretty scary. Oh, that was nothing. Nothing? No. Wait till you hear next week's story. The Grand Guignol play about a woman who was buried alive. And my guest will be the beautiful and charming Simone Simon. Hope you and your audience will join me next week at Mystery House. Bela Lugosi is currently being starred in a series of Mystery House pictures at Universal Studios. You'll find Mystery House novels on sale at your local bookstore. John Carradine will soon be seen in the title role of Bluebeard. This is Ken Carpenter. That was The Thirsty Death from Mystery House here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was my pick uh, for this week for so many reasons, uh, not the least of which is everything that we discussed in the intro such a weird program, an episode just sitting out there that has caused so much confusion because of the Mystery House series. Why this uh, audition remains and is out there to be heard and no more were recorded. And it bugs me because there's so many shows that they're lost forever in time in old time radio. Yet this, this <laughs> survives, this thing that never aired. Yeah. Um, plus it has Bella Lugosi and it, John Carradine. John Carradine and it's just star studded and just such an interesting story. There's so much to discuss here. So have any of you heard Mystery House? I had heard this episode before mm. and had no idea the story behind it. Did you think it was connected to the other Mystery House? I've mentioned before that I just listened to old-time radio in collections without really necessarily knowing what episode is from what series. So I paid no attention to what series this was from when I first heard it. 
And uh, Joshua, you're familiar with Mystery House. I've the... heard one episode of the other Mystery House, which I assumed this was part of that same series. So when I heard this for the first time for the podcast, I was completely puzzled because it has none of the show within a show structure of the yeah. other Mystery House. And so I started Googling and... I realize just how much misinformation mm-hmm. there is about this show out there. I mean, there's a lack of information, which allows the misinformation to become fact, but it's really just a lot of question marks. But I think it's very clearly not a part of no. this show. It's often cited on other websites as part of this run of Mystery House. And then somewhere along the way, they got the money for this one episode to have some stars in it. Here's the other interesting thing is Mystery House, the other one, which was either done by the publishing company Mystery House or not, which we don't know, (laughs) started in 1929 in WGN in Chicago and was very popular uh, regionally. Uh, Chicago, Wisconsin, apparently, it was much more popular than anywhere else, the old Mystery House, because of the amount of newspaper ads promoting it in Wisconsin were higher than anywhere else, than even in the Chicagoland area. So they can determine from that. Maybe it was struggling, so they needed more ads in Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) They uh, pull from that that they think that it did very well regionally. There's even a lot of contradictory information online of when the original Mystery House aired. That is true. Maybe there's a third show that calls itself Mystery House. I mean, this is an era in which everything is mystery this, mystery that, and they just needed mystery with a noun. (laughs) It's a mystery barn. (laughs) Mystery gazebo. I mean, it... Oh, that's a good show. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's uh, It was also been thrown out there that, be it real or not real, there is a legend of competition between Lugosi and Karloff and Lon Chaney and all the old monster uh, movie actors. And it was pointed out in a couple of places I read that Lon Chaney was having all the success with Inner Sanctum stuff and the movies and all of that. And Boris it, Karloff was but, very popular on radio. And Boris Karloff was doing very well so that this was uh, Bella Lugosi's attempt to cash in on that. And they did this audition and no one picked it up. And that seems to make the most sense. That mm-hmm. seems to be where this probably all stemmed from. Not only their possible competition with each other, but if I was watching that success and was a producer of stuff, I'd say, well, go get Lugosi. Does he have one yet? You know. But, I mean, he's not as good an actor as oh, those no. other two. He's no. got a face for film, yeah. but not a voice for radio. We'll I get mean, into that. Karloff has that voice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll argue as we get into this. I don't think John Carradine has the voice for radio. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> the look on your face. I don't think anyone has a voice for radio. <laughs> I think there's a lot of reasons why this might not have been picked up, I guess. Yes. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> That's one mystery that we can easily solve. <laughs> Between Carradine and Lugosi, it was a battle of the ridiculous accents. It was really hard to sit through this and not picture Lugosi as a vampire in his traditional garb and John Carradine. They can't be anybody but themselves because of their voices. So it was hard to get lost in a story uh, when you're just like, oh, it sounds like those two guys. Wow, I really enjoyed this episode. Did you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really like this. And I even Sorry. like, oh, Bela, uh I know he's not good at English, but he's doing really good. Well, I think I mean he's not a romantic lead by any means. Yeah, no. Well, John Carradine is hard to listen to in this role as the uh, I don't know the good guy. It sounded like a seventy-year-old man and a twenty-year-old woman 
first of all. They That's just, fair. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't buy that. I just couldn't get them out of my head. You know, you can tell me after an episode that that was Bill Johnstone, and I'll go, oh, right, it was. Because he's a good actor. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this was me just focused on those two in a room doing a reading. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> picture anything else. So that that was a huge issue. But I did eventually get by the um, idea of that. And when I listened to it the second time and made notes on the story itself. But but you didn't have an issue with their accents or voices. No. I mean, I think performance-wise, Lugosi, his limits show. But... Uh, John Carradine, I I didn't have any problem with it. it. It might just be that I don't have the one specific John Carradine role that he always gets associated with. I just know, eh, it's John Carradine, he sounds like that. Right. <laughs> well, that's just it. <laughs> that's the problem. Carradine, even in film, I don't know, maybe I'm going to get in trouble here. I get, you know, I know he's revered, but... All the angry John Carradine fans out there <laughs> poised at their email. It's the same thing over and over again, isn't it? It's it's not a lot of range. And God, I love Lugosi, but man, that was just Bella Lugosi walking <laughs> around in a radio studio. It does come down to taste, because yeah. you know, if this is Peter Lorre doing the same thing he does over and over again, <sighs> we would be peeing on ourselves. <laughs> like, I love it when he does that! But, right? But I do have that issue with Peter Lorre, too, a little whoa, bit. Whoa, 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 what? <laughs> I don't know what it is. Man, it's a really I good won't point. Fight anybody. Peter Lorre and Boris Karloff are much better actors than Bella right, Lugosi. Right. But I like Bella Lugosi. He is working very hard in this. Yes. Um, you know, so good for him. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he gets picked up. <laughs> <laughs> They're still waiting. That's why this exists. They just keep submitting it. <laughs> we could probably pick this up and run with it, guys. <laughs> Yeah, right? <laughs> Make episode two. All we need to do, and this is in my notes, is get Joe Flaherty on board because I realized that Joe Flaherty's uh, count in SCTV, yeah, Floyd. Count Floyd, isn't that much of a parody. I was listening to Lugosi in this and realized, wow, that's just a dead-on impression of Lugosi that Flaherty's doing in SCTV, and it's supposed to be this over-the-top, blah, blah, look at me, I'm here, I'm here to date your daughter. And and then you go, no, that was Lugosi, man. He was that much of a cartoon of himself sometimes. So if we can get Flaherty on board, yeah, I say let's run with it. I don't know what he's doing. You got his number? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the plot then of this. This is one of the best episodes of Dracula I've ever heard. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Wait, no, that wasn't it. <laughs> um, on the way to the village, uh, they stop at Renee's house and the houseboy gets scared off, right? That's the plot of this thing. And she runs into this guy. Because the village is being attacked by rabid dogs. Correct. And she didn't know he was there or knew he was there, but didn't know where he lived. How big is this village? <laughs> where are they? Is this a metropolis? <laughs> she, oh, this is your place. I knew you were here. Yeah, I've been here for two weeks. Remember me, former boyfriend? <laughs> I moved here. To this you never came over till now? infested village <laughs> in the darkest continent of Africa. What a coincidence. <laughs> and it took this for you to actually show up and say hi. 
that bugged me. Like, e- even if she had run off and gone to his house and said, I, you know, I've been meaning to stop by <laughs> or anything, that, or I just got here this morning, anything that would have filled that plot hole for me. I, it would seem too weird. Yeah, I feel like this story, if I heard it without knowing the date, would think it was more from the witch's tale era, like the mm. 30s. The coincidence is so obvious in it. And I mean, suspense stories run on an engine of coincidence. It's just if you're a elegant enough writer, you can just sort of make it all seem poetic instead of <laughs> clunky. Right, right, <laughs> right. right. Uh, um, but here it does feel a little heavy on exposition. And it all feels like it started with the idea of rabid dogs. Mm-hmm. And the whole plot is just contorted and stretched in a way to get it somewhere where that might possibly desperately make sense. Yeah. It's to have a story around rabies or hydrophobia, as they call it. Yes. yes. Eve is the girl, right? Isn't that right? Yes. Uh, it's 1944, so Eve is a girl's name. Still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she went from Dayton Carradine <laughs> to Dayton Lugosi. Well, it was she, sort of arranged, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> she got a thing for weird voices, man. That's... Uh, well, I don't mean to be that hard on it. It is certainly very entertaining to listen to, mm-hmm. um, but I think it drags a little. I like it. I like it, I I like it a lot, guys. <laughs> or you're in butters. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we'll get to you, Tim. <laughs> but I mean, the, the twist at the end of there was nothing that's really obvious. That's yes. It's see that I'm coming a mile off, but just the setup of there's two people trapped in a house that are locked in a house. It's highly contrived how they got there, but they're there, and one of them has rabies, and the other one has a knife, or they have a knife to mm-hmm. split. Like, that's a good setup, I thought. I agree totally. The problem mm-hmm. is it's not the setup. It's <laughs> 20 minutes in, or it feels like it. If they could have set that up within the first like six or seven minutes and had a longer, mm-hmm. tenser... Locked in a room? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and we could have learned a lot of the exposition that was heavy in, at the front in the room. while they were kind of freaking out and talking to each yeah, other. Yeah, that's a really and I know good I'm point. being the armchair writer, which is easy no, to but, say because I don't have yeah. Bella Lugosi breathing down my neck. Like, Where's the script? Where's the script? <laughs> is that what he did? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Call off that sucker. <laughs> I think Tim's right that we're stuck on how contrived it was to get them into this room. It was just right. such weak setup to get them into the room where it doesn't have any thought of you came in the middle of the night through rabies dog infested woods to put bars on the wind well that was the other thing is that within seconds he put bars on the windows (laughs) that bugged me like while they slept right (laughs) quietly while they slept i think they were already there he just closed the barred windows because that makes more sense it was put up because these dogs have been there for a while all right good it sounds like it's something that this village has been suffering from for a while that's my back filling yes (laughs) fix the story retroactively (laughs) (laughs) no i just would have thought it was even worse if i got the idea that lugosi was out there nailing bars to the window well that's what i thought thought as well (laughs) they woke up and to me they said oh no there's bars on the windows and i went wow that was some sneaky bar putting up quietly (laughs) Or 
here's the other fill in, right? <laughs> Are we supposed to think that there's some kind of supernatural power to this guy? Yeah, at one point, because she, so she has the dream that there is a dog in her bedroom and it turned right. to the shadowy form of a man. And I think you're supposed to, at that moment, as a listener, kind of think, is this some kind of supernatural werewolf-like thing with all these rabid dogs out there? At least that's what I thought. Maybe they're going in that direction. Well, then maybe he can just make bars on a window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Genie yeah. nods that's, his head. That's the storyline I went down when they talked about how the doctor wouldn't put down his little dog Nero. I was like, oh, did you ever see the little dog and the doctor at the same place at the same time? Does it, does it turn into the little dog? And this way it I don't know. I was willing to accept oh, anything. So, <laughs> now I want a story about like a, a wear schnauzer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Injecting them with infected dog saliva was pretty gross. Even yes. though it turns out he didn't do it, but that had me sitting up going, what? <laughs> you saw the twist coming that he was lying? Yeah. I guess I didn't really, because maybe I was too worried about that woman dating that 80-year-old man. <laughs> but um, I kind of like... the real nightmare at the end. Wait, you're my husband! Ah! <laughs> I kind of like the twist of Lugosi's character not knowing that was going to be the end result. But he always meant to kill them, though. So it's not much of a twist whether he really injected them with the tainted saliva or whether he just made them believe it and locked them in there. Either way, his plan that was one of them was going to kill the other. Mm -hmm. He did leave the knife. But I did like that aspect of it, that he was going to punish them relentlessly before mm -hmm. killing them. Yes, exactly. And if it had gone the way he thought it would gone, he would have just had his, his psychological revenge and... But I don't know if you think it through. What did you think was going to happen? And once you put the bars up on the <laughs> windows and locked them in, it wasn't going to go well. I love when he, uh, the doctor first comes over to Renee's house, and he's very sneaky when he says, my wife would like a house like this. Let me see your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Renee's like, no, no, you don't want to see my bedroom. <laughs> Is there someone in the bedroom? Maybe. This convenient servant. Yes. Some pretty racist servants. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, um, it's extra special racist-y. And it's the sort of uh, nervous, cowardly trope, but then again, rabid dogs. Yeah, I, I mean... I'd be concerned. They're the smartest <laughs> ones in this story. <laughs> those those are well, houseboys that got the hell out of there. The entire premise of this story, the, all of the eggs are in the howling dog's basket. Mm -hmm. And because... Who's the announcer again? Uh, <laughs> Ken Carpenter. Ken Carpenter must <laughs> say seven times... And how about them howling dogs, huh? <laughs> scary stuff. Again, Joe Flaherty. Ooh, scary. <laughs> it's got howling dogs. Look out. We Woo. spared no expense for Mr. Lugosi's show. <laughs> <laughs> we have four guys in the background going, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, as we wrap this up, Tim. Yes. You liked it. I did. I did, too. <laughs> I did. There's, it wasn't, you know, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. But I did really enjoy myself all the way through for all of the reasons. It was Lugosi and Carradine, and then it was the story. And there was a lot of things about it I really had a great time listening to it. But you seem to like it just in general. Uh, yes. I mean, all the dumb things about it that we have said are true. It's dumb. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I like that I, I have not heard an old-time scary radio story about rabid dogs. I suppose I can think of one rabid dog story. Um, <laughs> that would be Cujo. Um, but for the most part, it was a really – it was a very different setting, a very different storyline. 
and it was inventive to me and poorly executed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you say it was dumb, I mean, honestly, and I think about this every time we talk so glowingly about the shadow. I'm not even going to look at Josh right now. <laughs> you but better so, not. You but someone from the outside could very easily look at the shadow and say, well, that's just dumb. <laughs> you know, but we have it in our hearts. We love it so much. So mm-hmm. I, I have to cut some slack to the tropes, the setups, because let's be honest, sometimes it just gets a little silly in, in these shows. Yes. And I think part of the reason the shadow is so appealing, and we won't turn this into a <laughs> big discussion of the shadow, or will we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have a harder time in an anthology series because if the writing isn't too sharp or the actors, like in this case, aren't really helping you to feel any emotion toward them, then there's really not much there to hang your hat on. Whereas in The Shadow, you, the characters you feel a lot of warmth for because even in a right. poorly written episode of The Shadow, you already know Lamont Cranston, you already know sure. Margot Lane or Shrevey. And so you already have this entrance into the mm-hmm. story, even if everything around those characters you love is an absolute mess. Right. And here, I think part of the problem as we started the conversation is is with the performances. And again, it probably wouldn't have bugged me, but when the performances are, eh, and they're sold so hard at the top of the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> if this were a group of, you know, anonymous late 30s actors, I don't think we'd be picking on them. You're right, because they do say, listen, we got Carradine, we got Lugosi, yeah. we got Howlin' Dogs. Yeah. This cannot Nothing can fail. stop us. <laughs> right? That's exactly Look right. out, world. <laughs> That's exactly the, the premise. Uh, let's vote on it. Tim. Stands the test of time is hard to say, because it, very specifically it's flaws... I think are dated flaws. Uh, like I've been saying, performances is certainly a historic n- novelty because of its background. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that I would agree. It is historically interesting and fun to listen to mm-hmm. all the way through. I'm not sure it stands the test time, and it's definitely not a classic, but it's well worth listening to. Yeah, I would agree with all that. I think it's well worth listening to, especially when you go in with the background of what this is—that this is an audition tape. Without all that information, I think Tim's right. I think it's a lot of stupid fun. <laughs> you know, they are injecting people with dog saliva, and Bella Lugosi is uh, walking around yeah. saying things, and, you know, you can't be mad at it. <laughs> yeah. Bella Lugosi trying to get into a Frenchman's bedroom right. is worth the price of admission. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to episode number 80. Woo-hoo. Wow. That uh, happened quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is that, you know, the fact that we recorded all these in this one week. <laughs> it's been a long a week. week yes. <laughs> Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of this podcast, the other 79, plus whatever we do after this. Uh, and you'll find information about our live performances, because we do live performances. Yes, and uh, you can also visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the morals and uh, become a member of the mysterious old radio listening society if you are so inclined and uh, you can uh, support this podcast. You can also get uh, access to our members only podcast, the secrets of the old radio and the I think that's what it's called. <laughs> Shh, it's really secret. Even we don't know the name of it yet. <laughs> but uh, you can check that out. And also, please, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, write a review on iTunes. We love it. 
All right, coming up next, number 81, Tim, it's you. That would be an, another story from The Witch's Tale, an episode entitled The Firing Squad. Until then. Hi, everyone. Count Floyd here. For Monster Chiller Horror Theater. This is Bela Lugosi, welcoming you to Mystery House.